Where do you turn for business building ideas that could make you a fortune? If you're an agent or advisor, discover the new online destination for the industry, insurancewebex.com. There you'll get the inside track to exclusive opportunities and industry education that is geared to help you grow your business. Sign up now to become an Insurance WebEx Insider for free access to exclusive web classes hosted by some of the most successful mentors and insurance producers in the industry. Get exclusive free trials and discounts from companies offering consumer leads and prospecting programs. Stay connected to the pulse of the industry with business building webinars, new product launches, and lead generation programs, as well as addressing issues facing the industry. Visit www dot insurancewebx.com that's www.insurancewebx the letter x dot com quantum marketing radio the marketing podcast for insurance agents and financial professionals And welcome back to another episode of Quantum Marketing Radio. I'm your host, Louis Hillman, alongside the Leverage Marketing Guy. Jeff Thompson here. Hey, and we are picking up the conversation with Kevin Hogan, international best-selling author, probably best known for his um, top-selling book, The Psychology of Persuasion. When was that published, by the way? Psychology of Persuasion just turned 20 years old. 20 years old. Yeah, so next year I can take it to Vegas. (laughs) Um, You know, we're really immersing ourselves in uh, techniques to help producers be more effective when working with their clients and closing sales. But a lot of it is really not driven based on selling product or concept. It's how they can better engage with their clients. You would talk to us about starting to sell greeting cards when you were 11. Mm -hmm. When you first started out going door to door, um, how quickly did you learn it was less about the product and more about Kevin? I learned within three days because I hit 50 or 100 doors a day. Kevin, don't go across Grand Avenue. Don't go across Highway 41 in Chicago. And I was like, I'm not going to listen to my mom on this one. We need money. So it was became really obvious that it was all about me, where I stood, the way that I looked, the way that I talked. And it really had nothing to do with the product. People bought because of me. And as I studied through college and as I studied, I, I've had... Um, I think it would be safe to say over a million sales calls um, that I've managed with other people with the results. We've taken the sales um, results out. And it's so much about you, the environment, and your connection with the person. And it's so little about the product. If I had to put a number, I would say way higher than 80-20. It's you plus the environment versus the 20% product. Product knowledge is nice, but it's so unimportant by comparison to being able to communicate effectively and being able to influence. And that does seem to be where I would say most producers tend to put their emphasis is really focusing on being the product expert. They almost see themselves mostly as the product expert and not the person that's the salesperson. I think, in fact, they, they often don't even see themselves as salespeople, which is interesting. You know, the, the, the pro, you know insurance is a good product, as, as a good series of products as it is. So allow your company's reputation and brand. You chose your company to work for because you like something about them. So let that stand on its own. Okay, so just to uh, follow up to Louis' question, are you suggesting that you know, the agents should really not be very knowledgeable about their product? Right. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, I think that when you're um, getting your license, you learn a lot about the regulatory piece of the business. And when you're with um, your first company, they're going to teach you about the products. They're going to teach you all about uh, the various kinds of policies that are available, how to take, uh, how to address individual needs. Um, sometimes they f- over-focus on trying to sell one product over another because it's more profitable. Really, the 
it, it almost everything about selling is really counterintuitive, actually. And the most, if you've ever watched the movie Miracle on 34th Street, uh, it's been redone several times over the years, and it's a great it's a great program for all salespeople and influencers influencers to watch. Basically, the child goes up to Santa Claus and says, uh, "I want a pair of roller skates," and Santa Claus says tells the mother, "Then, you know." Chris Kringle tells the mother, you know, they're way too expensive here, but get them at Gimbel's across the street. And, of course, the guy at Macy's is freaking out, like, oh, my goodness, this is terrible. But the fact is, is that when you say, hey, you know what, really, for right now, you, you should be doing term because the, the, li- the whole life is just going to be too much of a financial stress for right now. Even though the tax benefits are there, let's talk about it next year when business is better for you. And by doing that, you communicate to this customer I mean, I've been with my insurance agent for 33 years. $1,400 a year of his income is based, 1400 of 10, that's 10% of what I spend with Dennis every year. That's because he wouldn't let me buy certain things originally. Mm-hmm. And I trusted him immediately at age 16. So, no, you want to know your product. You just don't need to teach me everything about it. Okay. So, and the idea there is... Uh, recommending something that's really appropriate and not trying to push them to something that is a bigger or a bigger bite than they can chew or a product that maybe isn't the perfect fit for right now to help establish that uh, trust. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Because if it was your mom, just think of this, if it was your mom or your daughter and the, the, an agent came and talked to them, what would you recommend your mom do? And that's ultimately, or your, your daughter, what would you recommend? And that's what you should be recommending to your client. And if it's more expensive or less expensive than the average, whatever would have happened, well, that's fine. Do that. And if you sort of look at the family test in selling every single time, you're talking to somebody who's actually going to like you forever. In fact, they might even become irritated with you because they see you every single year and ask questions all the time, right? So allow that person to develop a relationship with you. You're on day one. Um, that's kind of how you get them to the 33-year the Right. customer at some point is get that trust up front and yeah if, if Dennis has earned $50,000 boy that means I spent a half a million dollars in insurance <laughs> oh my gosh guys I'm just having a moment so um, but yeah but that's exactly right so I'm going to spend a lot of money with with my agent over the coming years and with his company. So why not have it start logically, rationally, which is just do the best, absolute best thing what that person needs at this moment. And you're smart enough to know what it is. You do. You know when you're overselling. You also know when you're underselling. So just give the person what makes sense and design it for them in front of their right in front of them without a piece of paper and pen. Just sit and talk about it and say, you know what, whole life. You're 38 years old. You got 25 years until you retire. This is a pretty cool idea. We could put in, you know, 50 bucks a month or 100 bucks a month for the next 28 years. You're going to be able to pull out uh, 100 times 12 times 30. I mean, that's a lot of money. That's $400,000, you know, plus whatever interest accrues on top of that. You're going to be doing fine. Tax-free. I love the tax-free part. So, (laughs) you know, communicate, communicate what the issue is. You know, if, if, if I can afford whole life, it means I make enough money to understand what tax-free means. Mm-hmm. And if I don't understand what tax-free means, it means I don't make any money. Right. So let me buy a term policy, please. Right. Okay? Makes, All right. More, makes right? more sense. Yeah. So cust- product knowledge, obviously, super important, but not for the customer. He just has to know what's best for him and the In family situation. and the son that's sitting next to him over here that you've politely brought into the conversation instead of shooing away. So in our... Our prior episode, uh, episode six, I believe, um, you mentioned some stuff about authenticity. This kind of ties in, it sounds like, with that a little bit. But um, what common mistakes are you seeing people make uh, that undermine their influence or their ability to persuade? People spend too much time creating a sales presentation. It's nice to have a basic structure. I mean, basically, once you've communicated and learned about what this person is okay to open up with you about, and you've talked about things that matter to them in life in general, find out what they're actually protecting, what matters in life. Um, That's why it's nice to have the little uh, child at the the dining room table with you. Um, That child is being protected by what you're going to do. Let that child be there, and don't let the parents shoo them away. Say, no, 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 it's fine, let them be here, it's okay, grab it, grab it glass of water and sit down you'll learn something maybe or maybe you'll teach me something and I'll be better off 
And and people need to see that you're real. And I'm, this goes even beyond authenticity. This is like, I'm just a real person, just like I was coming to watch the Super Bowl at your house and we're going to hang out, you know? And I, it's sort of like, if you look at everything like this, the seven-year-old is about three feet tall, okay? And if you get on your hands and knees and sit and talk to the child, you're on his or her level. And that's what you should do. And if you do that, it means you're aware enough of what it takes to be a great communicator, a great influencer. But if you sit, if the child is standing up next to you and you stand up next to the child, you're six feet tall, the child's three feet tall, the child's having a conversation with your thigh, okay? And that means you don't understand influence and communication. So I want you to look at everybody as a child. Where are, you, where are they at? One of the things we learned in, in research is, is that, um, and I'm seeing guys, I'm sitting across from Jeff here. He's, he's sitting in my home. And right now, our eye contact is about on the exact same level. Whereas Louis was sitting in a chair uh, over here on this side of me, and it was about six inches higher. I can tell you that it's very intimidating, um, because I gave him a taller chair, by the way. But uh, it's very intimidating to have someone sit next to you who's looking down on you, mm-hmm. okay, who can see the top of your hair that you did not comb today, all right? And you basically, but you, for you, you want to be under the eye level, the eye contact level of the person you're sitting across from. So now I've got my my left uh, elbow on my left knee, and I'm... Jeff's eye level, contact level, if you were to look, is about two inches higher than mine. That's perfect because because I'm the salesperson. I'm selling to Jeff, and he has power. There's no threat. There's no dominance issue here. There's no concerns, no nothing. And I'm very relaxed. Everything is very mellow, and I am not a threat. And that's really important. You know, in our last podcast, uh, we spent a lot of time discussing how body language plays into persuasion and influence. How much of this is more body language versus what you're actually saying? It seems like the body language is more important in influencing than almost the words themselves. There's a couple things that really matter. There's body language. There's nonverbal communication, which is not body language. Nonverbals mean um, where we sat, okay. what building we're in, um, what color the walls are, uh, the ambience, the scents in the air. Does is there? Do you have a scent of vanilla in the air? Why not? Um, do you have a scent of chocolate chip cookies if you don't have vanilla? Why not? Um, <laughs> so if you don't have those things and you don't offer me a chocolate chip cookie, why not? Um, you know. And these are the things that really matter the most when it comes down to compliance, to gaining agreement and compliance with people. It's the simple things. The simple things. There's another thing that's really cool too. That's not body language or you, but the story. And so you're going to tell a story at some point in your communication with the person. And really, it should be a Genesis story. And I talk about a lot about Genesis. And Genesis means beginning. So if I were selling life insurance, I would tell the story, which I shared in, in the first podcast, which is, is that my dad died when I was 11 years old. We had no life insurance, zero. We couldn't even afford to bury my dad. It really stunk. Mm-hmm. And and had he had even a burial policy would have been really nice to have. And so as I tell the story, you know that that's why Kevin is selling insurance. Mm-hmm. Okay, I make a good living as an insurance salesman. It's fine. I'm doing fine. I'll be fine for the rest of my life. But really, it's because you need to have this so you don't leave your kids in the same situation that I got left in. And when the person sees that this is who you are, and it's okay to say, yeah, and I do this because it's a profitable business. I mean, I, I get 10% every single year when you renew. I'm totally happy with that. I'm here to make you know your world better, but I also want to be able to pay for my kids because they would have to hurt me if I didn't do a good job of being a good dad to them too. And that type of disclosure helps build rapport It helps a lot. It makes me a real person. It makes, it, it takes away all the wondering, all the curiosity. Oh, you make 10%. That's fine. That's not so much. So if it's, if it's sort of the un, you know, mentionable, that becomes a stress point that can create if I walk around that, yeah, Kev, what do you make out of whole life? Well, 50% your first year and then 10 after that. So the company really wants you in there, but it may or may not be the best thing for you. And it ultimately, fortunately, the way insurance works is that it really doesn't matter for you because we, we basically create a program that's going to get you more money than you could get investing on your own. And it's tax-free. Yeah. <laughs> so that's 28% right there plus Minnesota's 9%. You're talking 37%. Minimum. So this is what we want to do is give you that opportunity and you can't invest that effectively. Nobody can invest that effectively. You know, so this little one over here, Billy over here, is going to be doing fine, you know, someday. Yeah. Well, um, 
So I want to circle back to, oh, sure. to mistakes again, because I, th- mm, I think yeah, there yeah. are people making mistakes. Uh, I'm sure they are, because it's some of the stuff that you mentioned in the last podcast. These are, I think when you hear them, you think, wow, that makes sense. But we're not doing them. And a lot of agents aren't doing them. Uh, maybe not consistently, at mm-hmm. least. They may do it from time to time, but not on a consistent basis, because they haven't made it some something that they're consciously aware of. I think that um, you're going to be really tempted, guys, to use your PowerPoint on your um, notebook computer. And I can't imagine. I, I had what, a, a gentleman that I'm coaching right now. I charge $12,000 a year to coach. We talk once a month um, on the telephone, meet four times a year in Las Vegas. And so it's a fairly expensive phone call. And uh, I usually tell people bad news that everything that they've been doing is the reason that they're talking to me. Okay, and what they do is they create PowerPoint presentations to show on their on their notebook. Seen a lot of those, and <laughs> I've never seen a notebook computer that can sell. Yeah. Uh, notebook computers sometimes don't even turn on. So there's no reason. I, I mean, I'm, I'm searching right now in my mind. There must be some reason somewhere that I would need to turn my computer on. You might as well have it with you, but I can't think of anything offhand. So the first mistake I think is is that you turned your computer on and you took the person's eyes off of you. You need the person to like you, to believe you, to trust you, to know that you're credible. If you have to rely on a computer to show somebody, they could have got that online. Mm-hmm. They don't need you here in front of them. What they need to know is, is that they're safe and that they're comfortable. There's a reason to trust you and your company that you represent. But if they trust you, they will trust the company. And so the biggest mistake we make is to rely on sales tools or unselling tools like PowerPoints, for example. So. I'm not going to tell you to get rid of it. You'll probably use it someday next year. I can't think of when, but it's possible. But so feel free to keep your little teeny notebook with you or your iPad, but please don't pull it out unless it's absolutely necessary. Like, is it absolutely necessary for a signature? Sure. Or for something like that. But really, you already know everything. And the person is going to trust you. You know, they're going to believe in you. So don't be foolish enough to believe they're going to believe your PowerPoint because I'm not believing your PowerPoint. I want to hear you talk. Tell me, to, you, you, if you really think there's three choices and I have one of them, that's fine. So give them to me. Say, Kev, we can put you up. Here's how I would do it. If I'm selling somebody who makes $75,000 a year, they're 27 years old, I say, look, we can put you in a universal lifetime policy. This is really cool. And it's something you should consider and everybody should because it really is a pretty amazing product. And it's because that way, because you're going to be able to put money in, extra money gets set aside in sort of a savings account kind of a thing. Technically, this is not correct, but you can look all that up online. You can Google it and find out. Right. Okay. All right. So, but it pays pretty good interest, remarkably so. I mean, it's just really pretty amazing. So that's one, option one. And then there's option two, which is a 10-year um, level premium life. That just means you're going to spend, and I'm ballparking it based on your health, but you're 28, you're going to spend uh, 250 a year uh, for $250,000. Basically, that's just calculated based on your, new, uh, your how long you're going to live and what your health is. And but the thing is about the 20 year level premium is that it's really not what people should be doing because you really want to keep your premiums level for as long as you can because when you hit 50 and 60, that's when those guys get their money. So if you're my mom, I'm gonna say, Ma, here's the deal. I want you to bet to pay a little bit more every single month so you don't have to pay a fortune when you hit 55 years old and so you're not terrified when you see your life insurance um, bill every year. I want you to spend this amount of money. It might be $400 a year for a 20-year level premium, for example. So, so that's what I would rather have you do. You can do anything you want. This is your money. It's your future. It's your child Billy's over here. Whatever you want to do for him. But protect him for the rest of your life. That's what I would do. That's what I would tell my mom. And leave the PowerPoint at home. I didn't need did I, did <laughs> no. I not get, I was pretty close maybe? Yeah. No, that, yeah. Was, that was fine. So, pretty darn good for a guy that doesn't work in our business. Right. So. <laughs> uh, well, in our last episode, you started to get into um, the environment and how important that is in actually persuading or influencing someone and mentioned that a restaurant was better than the office, better than the client's home. How does somebody pick a restaurant to go to and maybe where to sit and how did they use that environment effectively? One of the things that you were mentioning, Jeff, earlier was that people are worried about their um, 
agents are often often concerned about their uh, status. Mm-hmm. Status, right? Uh, you know, gosh, I don't have a multi-billion-dollar office, as if it would be relevant to the policy in any way. Um, it, it, all these things don't matter, guys. So don't worry if you have a fancy office because you don't need one. I've never used an office in my life. I find them really daunting and embarrassing and why would you ever need to go to an office so you want to meet the person in their home if you can't meet them in their home um, you really the best choice is the restaurant so now what kind of restaurants do you take them to do you take them to McDonald's do you take them to where do you go so you want to pick something that shows that you have um, an elegant side to you don't be pretentious and don't say yes these are the most expensive steaks you'll ever have in your life Mr. Johnson that's not the deal just starts to break rapport right away. Right? You know, you just walk in the door, say, have you ever been here? Ciao, Bella. You know, it's, no? Yeah, that's well, pretty cool. It's nice. I mean, the service is real pleasant here. It's a nice atmosphere. Now, I'm going to tell you a secret, guys. The reason that you go to Ciao, Bella, Ciao, Bella here in uh, Minneapolis, I'm trying to think if it's still in, in a diner, actually. I think is, it is. Is it? Yeah. Um, or Bloomington. Oh, yeah. Yeah, one of the two. I can't. Yeah, it's right on the lot. edge there. Yeah. <laughs> Since I moved out to the middle of nowhere, I haven't been. But, um, but anyway, so you want a restaurant that has a very dimly lit uh, interior. Mm-hmm. And this, again, is counterintuitive. Why? Because if I brought out my... PowerPoint, or if I bought, brought out pieces of paper for them to look at, they'd have a hard time seeing it. And plus, people are drinking alcohol and they're having, you know, loud conversations at lunch and all this kind of stuff, which is actually perfect for what you want. You want the dimly lit because as you and I sit across from each other, you're the insurance agent, and I look at you. I'm going to look at your eyes sometimes. Now, you have brown eyes and I have green eyes, but if you had blue eyes, it would be very easy to look at your pupils and just say, oh, his pupils are not dilated. So I, I'm going to see myself as not having liked you. It's mm. just that simple. Mm. But if your pupils are large and dilated, if you think, guys, think like this. If you ever had a baby in your arms and you look down at that baby, the baby has these monstrous black circles, orbs, in, in <laughs> their true. little blue eyes. I mean, everybody yeah. can remember this, right? Yeah. From and, and so let's go here for a second, because this matters. This is restaurant 101 for selling. That little baby is not afraid of anything. Nothing. Has no fear. Fear of falling in loud sounds, and that's about it. Nothing else. So basically, when the baby looks around, the eyes are capturing everything, and the pupils are fully dilated, and they're just loving everything they see. They love everything. As they go through life, they get bad experiences, and so they they, they, they move back from those bad experiences. They, they squint their eyes, and they get nervous, and that literally causes changes. And so as people get older, you don't see as many people with those big black saucers in their eyes, which we saw in the baby. And what happens is we literally condition safety out of humans, Hmm. out of people as they age. So you go to Chowbella, for example, which has the darkened environment and people's eyes automatically dilate to their maximum in a dark environment. Okay. Now this is not jet black. You can have a conversation, but it's not like today we're having a conversation in a um, ambient lighting with ambient lighting outside lighting. And this would not be ideal for making a sales. Too much light? Too much light. Mm-hmm. I would not trust the person I'm talking to, and I would just say no before I get going. So, and even though that's not how it comes out verbally, that's what the person feels inside. They don't even know why they feel So is the lighting, is that just because it feels more comfortable and cozy? I mean, is that the this idea? Is, this is just the math of how eyes work. Um, as, as you get into a darker environment, the... The, the saucers in the eyes, they get bigger, and the larger those uh, saucers get, the person likes you and trusts you more as they see that. So is it is it then just because your eye, yeah. is, it creates a brain chemistry or a linkage yes. that Absolutely. is familiar from a different point in life? Yep. You're back to the same safety level that you felt when you were a child. Okay. A young child. And that's really cool. You can't, you can't buy that somewhere. It's like... You're at the restaurant, it's dark, it's already accomplished the first goal, which is, is, you know, people look at each other's eyes just because I'm forced to look at your eyes in in the conversation. So all of a sudden I see, and I'm comfortable. That's a really nice place to start. Next thing about a restaurant that's really important is you want to be there always, 100% of the time, 10 minutes early. You want to grab... You, you tell your waiter or your waitress, and you should always go to the same restaurant every single time unless you know the person has an aversion to that kind of food. Otherwise, I'm going to Chow Bella, for example, every single time. So I'm going to sit at the very furthest seat in the back 
facing the front of the building. Now, this accomplishes some pretty important things. First of all, I made sure that this further seat back is not on the side where they take all the dishes and the plates, because when things drop and fall, I don't want to hear any of it. I don't want my client to hear any of it. Those kind of interruptions we can't tolerate. But if we have if I'm all the way at the back of the room and I take the seat up against the wall at the very back of the restaurant, that means the person that's sitting in front of me has to look at me and what else do they see? Nothing. The only thing they see No distractions. The only thing they see is Kevin Hogan and the food that's in front of them and the wine that's in their glass. That's all they see. There's no distractions. The only thing that comes is my waiter. You sort of created, for those who are familiar with internet marketing, a squeeze page in the restaurant where there's really precisely there's no escape route. There's no escape route. And the great thing is, is this becomes your restaurant then too. So when the person says, "Uh, "Kev, where's the restroom at?" you say, "Oh, around the corner, right hand side, and the men's room is on the left." Well, you know the restaurant. That must mean that this is your place and mm-hmm. that you're comfortable here. Mm-hmm. Um, you always address your waiter by his first name. Say, hey, Richard, do you want to do me a favor and grab me um, a, a, another water here? Uh, my, my friend is out. Uh, you know, those kind of things. And so you know the waiters. They know you. They know your name because you introduced yourself when you walked in the door. So this is a huge, um, it's, it's huge for the relationship and it's huge tactical. We're doing it on purpose. This is intentional. We're doing this. So you're there early, you select the seat facing all that you see, every single thing that happens in the restaurant. They see nothing. They have no clue. Something drops, it's on the other side. They didn't barely even hear it. It feels like a private setting, basically. Exactly. And the great thing about it, it's restaurant, it's lunch, it's the ambient noise is loud so people can talk about personal things. Mm -hmm. They can talk about um, how many kids they have and how old they are and whether they smoke or not and all of the medical things that would be relevant. Whereas if you caught them there at 3 p.m. or in your office at 3 p.m., I want to be in your office talking about all these things at your office. I don't want to talk about this stuff at your (laughs) office. (laughs) I want there to be lots of noise when I tell you how old I am and if I smoke and what my health habits are and whether I've got diabetes. I mean, no, don't take me somewhere I'm going to be embarrassed we know it's not going to get picked up because it's the white noise of the the correct environment nobody's going to hear this at all and so you basically have essentially the perfect setting and the only reason this is better than the person's house is that you, you do have one advantage at a restaurant you don't don't have at somebody else's house at somebody else's house um the the home is theirs and you are the intruder but here you're both intruders Okay, so it puts you on a very equal ground. But all things being equal, you would rather be at the restaurant. Second choice would be their home. Third choice would be your office. There's nothing at your office that can help you make a sale. Nothing. It only can, stuff can hurt. Okay, so don't, I mean, I know there's reasons that you think to bring them there. Oh, Kevin, this is going to be my nice office. He'll sell them. It's not going to sell them anything, I promise you. Nothing is going to sell because your office is beautifully decorated. It doesn't matter. It's not important. What's going to matter is, is if they like you, they trust you, they believe in you. And then whatever company you work for, whether it's Northwest Mutual or, you know, Transamerica, whatever your company is, it actually... Don't tell your sales managers this doesn't matter either because they're buying you and they're not buying your brand. You know, they don't care what company you represent. It's not important to them. Prudential, they don't care. What they care about is you. It's you they're buying. They're buying you and not what you're representing. That's their first big obstacle because nothing else matters really. Yeah. If they don't buy you, you're not... You're not going to have a sales conversation that goes anywhere. Every real smart company will tell you, yeah, our brand is, you know, we got a trillion dollars in assets in the banks overseas and we've got this and we got this backing it up and we've had this many years of paying every single policy thing. All that's there. But really, every sales manager knows that it's not Prudential that sells Prudential. It's the guy or the girl who goes to the person's house or to rest to the restaurant that makes the sale. That's why they're so careful in bringing in good people into their office. The best sales companies, the best insurance companies are the, are the ones with the smartest sales managers. Smart sales managers bring in people who know how to communicate, ask questions, listen, and say very little. The more words you say, the less money you make. Mm-hmm. The Makes more sense. you say, the less you make. The more <laughs> questions you ask, the more you make. So the more you're pitching, the less you're making. I promise. Because it, 
it just doesn't really connect. I have sold too. I haven't sold insurance, but I've sold pretty much everything else. And when you ask questions and you just take three or four or five or six minutes at the very end and say, hold it, before we go today, we actually have to make sure you go home with a life insurance policy or at least an application for you one. Let me ask you three or four real quick questions. First of all, um, what's the financial situation at home? Are you guys doing fine or is it not as fine? Because then I can tell you what you should do based upon that. And I, they'll put me down one avenue. They tell you that. Say, okay, cool. So health issues, any major health issues, you know, diabetes, smoking, cancers, anything like that that's going to come up because obviously this is for life and they're going to want to make sure that you live, you know, and I, I don't want to tease you into something if it's not going to work. And, you, and they say, oh yeah, I got diabetes and I got this and that. Say, okay, well, that's going to raise your rate. Obviously, you know that. I don't have to tell you that. You just know that. Right. So, but however, you could quit smoking just so you know and I would be happy to help you do that but if you can't then we're going to have to have you pay 25% more Mm -hmm. hint hint so stop smoking now before (laughs) the guy gets out there and then so I ask you two more questions right and I find out just a little bit of tactical information okay so here's what I think is going to happen I could actually pull out the computer right now and I can print this all out for you I don't want to do that I'll be happy to but what I'd rather do is just tell you what I think it'll be approximately I think because you smoke it's going to be about 360 a year you're 30 years old you're going to have a 10 year level premium you're looking at 360 a year you quit smoking it's going to be about 250 if, it, if it's worth 110 bucks a year to you to quit smoking you should really quit smoking um, other than that your health seems fine I think everything will get approved I don't see a problem I can email you the, the, the official document you can print it out and I can stop by the house on Tuesday and I'll be happy to pick it up and yeah I do stop by the house I don't stay though I just come to the door, grab the document, and get the heck out of there. Okay, just so you know. All right, no, I'm not coming. I got literally. That's what I do. So, and then if there's any questions that you have, which you really shouldn't, because all that should happen is is that you live, and I don't have to write a check. That's all we're looking for. Okay, is that you let? But if you have questions, I'm happy to answer them for you. So I'm gonna maybe take you somewhere that I think you're. your information is really applicable, um, and it's a, it's before the sale. Uh, so today, a lot of the way people vet somebody or do some shopping is to try to find someone uh, through a Google search. Mm-hmm. And maybe they don't find anything. Maybe they find their own website. Uh, I have a program where we actually do press releases, so we have some third-party stuff. Um, how would somebody actually help set the stage today by using the internet and your information to help uh, influence or persuade someone? I think that if me as the customer, if um, if I went looking for you, yeah. uh, if I go looking for you, I want a testimonial, I want to see an endorsement. And what I see on most people's pages that I train is testimonials and endorsements that are bogus. I see... Um, <laughs> Bill did this so amazingly well. It was phenomenal. We love doing business with Prudential. I've never seen anybody that said I love doing business with a company. It doesn't happen. They say, I love doing business with Jeff. Yeah. That's what they say. So the first thing I say is, okay, get rid of your BS endorsements. Pull them all off. Okay. The larger companies have compliance to where they're going to make sure that you test it. Right. The smaller companies won't. And this, the advantage of being a smaller company is you can get a little more aggressive. You can say, hey, do me a favor and say what you thought about our conversation today. If I was helpful to you, if I was real, you know, working with Kevin was really a cool experience because he didn't sit here and show me a bunch of, you know, slides and stuff. He just talked about cheats, like, <laughs> right? Like yeah. a real person. And he helped taper a program to my needs, you know, and it was nice. And that's what is going to feel good. I live in Minnesota. In Minnesota, we talk to people as if they're humans. Maybe this isn't the case in some other places in the United States, but here it's a human business. It's like, it's a really important human business. So I want you to have a real, um, and there's a difference between endorsements and testimonials, by the way, a testimonial means I've done some business with you, or I'm saying something good that happened with you. An endorsement is, is like a peer or a celebrity or something like that. This is, Hey, you know, you should really do business with Jeff or Louis because these guys will take care of you. Kevin Hogan, author of the psychology of persuasion. That's different. That's a, that's an endorsement. Whereas a testimonial is me saying, Hey, thanks so much for helping me out. Thank you for processing my claim on the car. Thanks for processing my claim on my dad. Um, I really appreciate the speed you took care of this. It was great. You were respectful. It was cool. Thanks so much. Is there a difference between the impact that one might have versus the other? Yeah, there is. There's huge differences. Everybody's persuaded by different, um, by different set of rules and, and feelings. So if I'm somebody that 
looks on, on television and I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan. Now I'm all of a sudden black because I'm not. I actually, I like Denver. Peyton Manning. So, um, so, so I see Peyton up there. If I see Peyton, I trust Peyton. Now, I don't know why I trust Peyton, but I do. So if I see Peyton Manning doing an endorsement for Jeff, I'm going to go, you know what? That's probably good enough for me. If Peyton Manning says that Jeff's okay, I like that. All right? And I'm going to, I'm going to accept that. And maybe that after I see that, I don't even need to see the testimonials. This is why Kim Kardashian can sell lots of other products when she's never done anything for a... The Kim Kardashian model is... <laughs> I've actually written a lot about Kim over the years. She's, she's a brilliant woman. Actually, the whole family is a brilliant family. They know... They've, I think, and I could be wrong on this, but I believe their net worth is about $100 million. <laughs> now, um, I, I know our audio man over here was skeptical of this at the beginning, but I, I, will, I will offer this to you guys. Um, just imagine that you have absolutely nothing to sell but air. Okay, just air. That's all you have to sell. You don't have a product, you don't have insurance. You're worth $100 million having sold air, and people were happy to give you the money. That should tell you that it's not about the product, it's not about, it's about the person. Right. They really like this family. Now, you might hate the family, and most of the people might ha hate the family, but the fact is is that they do a really good job, and there's a lot to learn by watching what they do and how they market because they're incredibly effective at it. Most of it, by the way, does not match with compliance uh, rules in insurance companies. But Yeah, we've got a, got a few rules in our business, You do, and you have to follow them, but you can still learn from how they use social media and connect with people, and you still have the right as a human being in America, fortunately, to comment on important things that matter and let people come to you and say, oh, so you do insurance? Yeah, cool. Hey, you know what? Talk to me about that sometime. Well, I didn't mean to sidetrack too much with the whole internet angle, but I think it seems like that's, that is a really important area because... Everybody should have that's a website, a, every individual, yeah. for sure. You need your name.com, and if you can't get your name.com, you should get your name online.com. And uh, if you can't get that site, Jeff Thompson Insurance online.com so, get something in there where they can google your name and it'll come up and all you really need is a four page or a six page wordpress site or a, a um, is it Squares, squarespace i think it is one of the easy to use setup something easy something that you can do in two days and you know get somebody who knows what they're doing to do your photo uh so i don't yell at you when you become my client and um yeah, just make sure that it just looks pleasant, you know, when they arrive. And it should be friendly. It should be engaging. They came to check you out, right? They came to check you out to see if you're for real. So make sure that you're for real when they get there. So this, the importance of their own picture is kind of a, sounds like that's a big piece of this because yeah. that's a, a way to connect again in a human, at a human level and not like a picture of New York City and, you know, looking like you're a... I think that the, your photo is, uh, there's been more research than I could take the time to share with you. When your photo, when you go to the doctor, studies have been done. If you go to the doctor and you have an MRI done, an MRI, and you give the, a doctor a photo of yourself and say, hey, do me a favor and attach that to the MRI, the doctor is 50% plus or minus more likely to find every single problem that's going on inside of your brain than if you did not have a photo attached. Oh, wow. That's how powerful your photo is in people's brains. So now it comes to what photo do I send? Okay, and you want a photo that does not have a stupid, insane smile on it. It should be a pleasant, nice smile, something that engages, something that, think of it this way, guys. Remember when you were in fourth grade and you got your, like, family, you know, the, the pictures that you brought home to the family, you got your pictures done? Mom, today was picture day at school. Mm -hmm. Yep. And you had this massive grin on your face that only a child can do right. or a salesman. Okay, <laughs> so... So you sit there and you look and you look horrible. It's the most horrible photo you've ever seen in the world because it's so fake. The forced fake smile, yeah. This is something insurance agents excel at better than anybody but fourth graders. So guys, just have have a woman who understands something about, you know, just what looks nice on men as far as a smile, just a nice smile, and just do what she says. Just do what she says. And women, ask women, because we don't know anything, okay? So you find out that and find out and go with her. And then you have, we use a green room downstairs for all of our photography. My son, when we were going for a new website photo, he took 440-something pictures of me. We were able to get five out of there, which were borderline useful. That's how hard it is to get a picture of me. Hopefully, you're better looking. Hopefully, you look better in public. 
But man, I'm telling you, it's hard to find a great photo that puts out there the, the image that you really want to put out there. And you want that image that shows that you're real, you're different from everybody else, you're not trying to put the plastic smile, and I don't want to knock any industry, but there's certain industries, like insurance, where this, the plastic smile is used too much. Get rid of it. It's like the gang Groundhog Day. Yes, yes, exactly. Oh, that's perfect. So just a pleasant smile, just something very nice. On your website, it should be there. Small, by the way, guys. Same thing is true on your stationery. We know it's better if it's on the upper left-hand corner. Um, a black and white photo, actually, or a, um, an etching almost can work really well. Your business card should be really classy, hard stock. If you're going to have a business card, make sure it's super hard stock. It should... It should make a make a click sound against the table like that when you, you you take your business card and you push it down otherwise just don't give it to anybody um, but get a, get a real nice card and your photo should be on your card small upper left hand corner uh, nice photo and your website should not have anything too glitzy on it your goal is not to impress the technological skills that you have but to connect with a person trust tr- at a trust level a level of trust and if you can do that you win we've covered a lot of ground in the last uh, episode and this episode I kind of want to leave it open to you to you know uh, let these guys know what what you think is important I know we've covered some mistakes that people make in, in influence and persuasion it seems like a lot of this is very subtle mm-hmm. subtle distinctions that have a huge impact which is really interesting because you can just do little things that could dramatically improve their results uh, and they're not hard to make yeah, these yeah are, no, these this, are, everything here is fairly simple. Yeah. So uh, we've talked about some of the things that they, they're doing wrong. Uh, we've talked about things that they should do to help. What else would you want to tell somebody that, uh, you know, uh, is important? I know you, you have a lot of different areas that, you've, that you touch on uh, with your research and in your business. Um, you know, what haven't we covered that's important? There's... There's a bucket of techniques a mile long. One of my favorite tools is, uh, I wrote about this for the Harvard Business Review, maybe it was a year ago, or a little less than a year ago, and they asked me to do an article on post-it notes. And post-it notes are amazing little tools because my counter is filled with post-it notes and I hate them. And the reason I hate them is because they make the counter, this beautiful granite counter, look horrible. Which means that I have to get those post-it notes taken care of to get rid of them <laughs> off of the counter. Wow. Yeah. So, Randy Garner down at the University of Huntsville um, did an amazing study and he found that when you attach a post-it note with your client's initials, okay, your client's initials, so for you it would be JT, for me KH, right? And so if you're writing to me, you'd say, hey, KH, um, got your uh, policy in today, uh, stopping over Tuesday, 3 p.m., text me, let me know it's okay. And then you put your, just sign Jeff or JT down there. And those are the kind of um, messages that increase the speed of how fast people get back to us. If you put the post-it note on a, on a piece of paper, um, if there's an application, you say, hey, fill this out. I'll be by Tuesday to pick it up. Or you can put it overnight to me in the mail tomorrow. Okay. Um, and by the way, do talk that way to people. Make people, let them know that it's okay. You have to know it's okay to ask for stuff to be overnight. It's okay to stop by and pick up stuff this isn't work don't, don't say something like oh by the way is it okay if I stop by and pick it up no that's the answer no say I'll be by just for 12 seconds to pick it up I'm just coming to the door I'm knocking on the door grabbing the thing and I'm getting out of here and I'm going to go put it into the system you're, you're basically commanding them to do something exactly. of sort. Exactly. Now, I've read about like uh, the, the Milgram experiment. Yes. Um, is that kind of play into that? Is yeah, absolutely. The, there's there's two things that play here. And I want to go back to the post-it note while we're talking sure, about this. Sure. The post-it note, if you put it on anything like an application, if you ask people to fill it in, they fill it in with more detail, which is really important to your underwriters. And they also fill it in and get it done faster. They're, it's back to you a day and a half faster mm-hmm. on average, which is pretty cool. And we know that people... People actually get stuff in the mail if you put a post-it note that says, hey, drop this in the mail tomorrow, and I will let you know the second it arrives here. Well, on our end of the business, the processing side, after uh, somebody gets an application, uh, there's often stuff missing, and there's you know a whole host of problems usually that they didn't get from the client, uh, and oftentimes the client is the delay you know, because they don't want to get the information to you quickly. So this is a huge little tip that could dramatically improve the turnaround rate on their cases. You guys Google Harvard Business Review Kevin Hogan and the whole article is there but the coolest thing is is that 
that for me and for your business is that when when you're filling out uh, information about yourself, you can get 150% more information. So in other words, if they just answered the questions the first time around, if you put the post-it note that says, hey, do me a favor and be really complete on this, KH. 150% more information. So all what they have, wow. plus that much, plus 50% more, just for having the post-it note. Amazing. So pretty cool stuff. So that would be, out of everything that I've seen, and I see cool stuff every single day out there, it's just amazing. Um, if you can show that you, if the person, make, if it's obvious, for example, you use the restroom at a lunch, for example, if it's clear that you have washed your hands, you are seen as more moral and as having better ethics. Little things like this that nobody think about are really huge. If mm. you monsters, if you pick up the wine glass just two seconds after the other person does, instead of doing it first, they're more likely to say yes to you. Little tiny things like that are the things that. Well, that's what I get paid to study, and that's why I, I yeah. do what I do. And I find it fascinating. And there's. Uh, Psychology Persuasion, good book. Science of Influence, those are both real good books. Invisible Influence is the newest. Um, it's a I'll good book. i have to book. pick that one up. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Um, and they wanted me to do a, a more of a techniques book this time. And uh, my hero, Robert Cialdini, uh, when I was in college, he was, uh, he was a big influence on my world. And um, so he had a book that he just put out with 50 techniques in it. And so I put 51 in mine. Because uh, you always want to be a little bit. Do you, have, than your do you have more than six weapons of influence? Oh, my goodness. This is where I beat my, my mentor by a long time. But yes, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, it's my niche versus your niche, right? It's yeah. like you, you can't, I can't beat him in his niche, but I can beat him in my niche. And yeah. that's how I want you guys all to think out there is like, sure, you have somebody who's the biggest producer in the, in the country. But that's the exact. And this, by the way, one final idea. Somebody who was going into practice as a therapist said to me one time, Kev, um, I'm brand new in the field. I just got out of school. What do I do? Because I'm competing with guys with 30 years of experience. And I said, just ask your customer, your, your clients, your patient. Uh, do you want to deal with somebody who hasn't been educated in 30 years or do you want somebody who has the most cutting edge information about surgery? Yeah. It's your choice. Sign me up for the, the guy that hasn't been to school <laughs> for, right. for 30 years. Boy, that would be a little... Uh, disconcerting. <laughs> Something to think about. So those are some ideas that people can use every single day. Great. Well, I think uh, I think time-wise, we're closing in on the end of our second episode here with you. It's been fascinating information. And I did want to get you to go back to Milgram real quick because you were going to say something mm. about that. Um, and I know it was... Uh, Stanley Milgram... Um, was seen as a, an authority figure because he was a, a Yale professor uh, years ago, back in the 70s. And Milgram wanted to know why. How did the Nazis get people to do all those crazy, crazy things, things. They, that they did? Yeah. And uh, what he found out was is that it wasn't just Nazis that would would kill people. It was everybody. And the his book, Obedience to Authority, is a, a read that will startle you for the rest of your life. But basically, it worked like this. His research over several years showed that when... Um, a subject believed that a man, an old man, was hooked up to uh, two electric wires that could have the power to kill him. And uh, the professor at Yale would say, okay, he missed that one. Go ahead and give him a shock. We're teaching with using negative reinforcement. We're teaching spelling, right? 15 volts, 30 volts, 45 volts, 60 volts, 75, 90, all the way up to 300 where it says danger, death, imminent. And uh, 60% of uh, men, 63% of women, 67% of psychologists, Two-thirds of all medical doctors um, and uh, the majority of psychiatrists all killed patients at the same rate. We all do this. We, we do things because an authority figure told us to do it. So the way that you are seen as an authority figure is not to open up your PowerPoint. The most authoritative, I've never seen Barack Obama open a PowerPoint and show me something. I've never seen even George Bush or Bill Clinton Okay, open up a PowerPoint. Never once. Never saw Ron Paul, my hero, uh, open up a PowerPoint one time. Not Ron one Paul. time. <laughs> right? I mean, here's a man who actually understands it. He's at, oh, anyway. So, <laughs> yes. So, if you really want to be seen as an authority, don't open a PowerPoint. You're not an authority. Then you have to look at a freaking thing on the wall. No, don't do that. Instead, tell the person, look them in the eye, talk to them, communicate with them, talk to their son. Everything is good. If something happens in their environment, bring it in. Let it come in. You can handle anything. And that is what you're doing. You are the authority. You have the information. You don't need it a computer to tell you what it's going to cost. You already know what it costs. If you don't know what it costs for their policies, you're, you haven't got enough product knowledge to go out there. Right. You better know what it costs. 
within dollars what it costs. I haven't looked at stuff in 10 years and I can usually come up with an estimate that's fairly close. So I know you guys can do a lot better. So be the authority, let them know the process if they need to know information, but keep away from writing stuff down. You don't really have to do that. You don't have to do stuff with um, the PowerPoint. That's how you're seen as the authority. And the same authority that has been used in World War II to kill so many people, the same authority that Milgram used to get people to fake by by just as, as an experiment. By the way, the experiment was replicated in France two years ago, um, in 2013, 23 years ago. In 2013, it was replicated as sort of a game show setting. And 81% of French uh, contestants on this game show it was really not a game show but it was perceived, put that way for the people who run it mm-hmm. were willing to kill somebody else just because they could win a prize so with wow. that in mind goes, <laughs> when you're seen as an authority or you have the power at the front of the stage pretty immense power people will do anything you ask and uh, be the authority by taking control of the conversation by asking questions and answering the ones that need to be answered well Kevin it's been a true pleasure to have you on the podcast uh, I was very excited to to have you uh, share your knowledge with our audience and uh, I think you've uh, hit it out of the park so thanks so much for being on the uh, quantum marketing radio and obviously I want to reiterate where they can find your stuff you have a great newsletter that um, that they can pick up if they didn't listen to episode five go back you can hear it there but otherwise um, yeah, go to kevinhogan.com, kevinhogan.com, myname.com, and then on the right-hand side of the page, you'll see subscribe to Coffee with Kevin Hogan. It means coffee every Monday morning with Kevin Hogan. been doing it for 14 years, uh, thousands of issues, thousands of articles. Everything is free. That you, All the article, all the content is for uh, without cost. There's always a chance to uh, come to an event and visit. All that information is always in coffee as well. But you'll, I can't imagine you'd find more information for no cost anywhere on the planet. Hey guys, this was a lot of fun for doing a podcast. I've been on a lot and this was one of the best I've ever had. Jeff, you're a great interviewer. Thanks for uh, letting me be here. I know you have a lot of great guests uh, coming up and uh, I hope everybody goes and sees them next time. It was really wonderful being here. Thanks so much. Well, thank you. Thanks for being on Quantum Marketing Radio. Will my business survive the post-DOL rule? Who will be my financial institution? What should I do? Where should I go for answers? What are my options? Am I a fiduciary? This overwhelming list of questions is very real to many producers. No one knows exactly what the rule is going to look like, but ECA has brought together a team of expert industry leaders that will clarify the rule as it stands today and give their educated thoughts on what our future business will look like in this industry. Register now. Seats are filling fast. DOLFiduciarySummit.com. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Find out more about the quantum marketing system at quantummarketingsystem.com.